Welcome to Where RA Now, a podcast dedicated to catching up with former RAs and hearing where their journey of life has taken them since their glory days at NYU. I am tonight's co-host, Chase Lau, from Walnut, California, just outside of LA, studying English and linguistics, and I'm an RA in Second Street. And I'm Tom Ellett. I serve as the other co-host, and my full-time job is the Senior Associate Vice President of Student Affairs. Chase, welcome as co-host of the podcast. Thank you. So, Second Street, you're over in the East Village. Yes. What is it like to be an RA there? It's quite nice, actually. I think, well, since my experience of past RAs comes from my experience as a resident, I've never stayed in a dorm this small. And I really, I really do like it. It's easygoing. Fortunately, people don't cause that many problems. And it's, it's enjoyable all around. It's cozy. I really enjoy my residence. And since I'm the third floor RA, which is the Chinese exploration floor, many of the events that we do cater towards people who have these sorts of interests. And it, it's nice to have a, a, a focus that everyone is sort of in on because it really clarifies things for me. I'd love to hear what some of the programs or engagements that you've had with students on this particular exploration floor. So the very first event that I did was going out for dim sum uh, with some of the residents. And we went way over budget, but it was fun. And, and it, you know, it was, it was the first event I kind of enjoyed letting it go and we all got to know each other and another event that I did was later in the semester was make your own boba tea or bubble tea and that was incredibly enjoyable because you know bubble tea is quite an expensive drink here in the city and I know that I enjoyed a lot and I know that a lot of other people enjoyed a lot and so just the fact that we could make it at home even though Usually, most of us would associate it as a drink that is pretty hard to make when it's quite actually it, when it's actually quite easy, and so you know, getting to know my residents as well as other residents across the hall is quite nice. That's great. I'd say. Now you're studying English. Mm-hmm. What is your focus, and what do you hope to do with it? Last semester, I kind of tried to focus in on what I wanted to do. Uh, I got an internship in a literary agency, working under agents reading first drafts of novels that vary in great to not so great (laughs) and you know that that's sort of one of those things that I am expanding my interest in and that's sort of the things that I kind of want to do in the future I'm not entirely sure yet you know when I came to NYU to study English I didn't exactly know what I was going to do with it I, I just knew that it was one of those few things that I was good at, and I wanted to pursue it and see, you know, what could I get out of it. And so far, it's been quite the ride. That's great to hear. And NYU allows you, and New York City allows you, to have this landscape and laboratory to really explore lots of different things. Mm-hmm. And so I'm, it sounds like you've been able to do that while you've been here. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I remember the first week when I came here, I felt absolutely lost in my freshman year. But that just kind of dwindled away within the first two weeks. And then suddenly, you know, now when I think about it, I can't, even though I know I'd probably be studying English somewhere else, I just can't imagine myself doing that because there's just too much to do here in New York. And there's there's so much that I can enjoy, both related to my major as well as, you know, experience things that are 
also part of my interests, but not exactly directly related. And I think tonight's guest is going to talk a little bit about that because you have similar uh, career aspirations of sorts, a yes. little bit. So uh, who's tonight's guest? Brian Brazo. He served as an RA in Stytown for David Pay during the academic school years of 2009 and 2012. Welcome, Brian, and thank you for joining us on today's show. It's quite a pleasure having you on. How are you? I'm doing well, thanks. How are you? I'm pretty good, and I'm enjoying the wonderful weather. I hope it's great over there as well. Yeah, it's not nearly as cold as it's been on the East Coast, but it's gotten a bit chilly here. It's gotten a bit of snow. And where exactly are you right now? So I'm in Coventry in the UK, and I currently work at the University of Warwick, where I'm a senior teaching fellow in the liberal arts department. Well, uh, tell us about what you've done since you graduated from NYU. So since I graduated from NYU, I took up a postdoc at the University of Warwick in the Italian Studies Department as part of a project funded by the European Research Commission on Aristotle and the Italian Renaissance. The project was split between two teams, one team here at Warwick and one team at the University of Kafoskeri in Venice. During that time, I worked on a few articles about the reception of Aristotle's poetics in Renaissance Italy, and very excitingly, uh, one or two of them should see publication in the next few months. I revamped and migrated the project database to a new platform, and I organized an international conference on early modern literary criticism at the Newberry Library in Chicago. Once I finished that postdoc contract, I took up a permanent contract as senior teaching fellow in the exciting new liberal arts program that we have here at Warwick. Amazing. Brian, it's nice to hear your voice. It's been a while. One of my favorite grad students at NYU while you were here. It's good to talk to you as well, Tom. I really miss my time at NYU. It was, it was a great time, and I loved being an RA. Yeah, you, you, you did. Tell us a little bit about that transition from undergraduate institution to coming to New York City, NYU, and then becoming an RA. What was that like for you? It was a lot of change, really, to be honest. I mean, you know, I'm a first-generation college student, so no one in my family had gone to university prior to, to myself. So already just going to undergrad was really, you know, a big stretch. Uh, it was really something new within the family. I didn't really have any role models or anything to look up to. And then when I got the offer from NYU to have a place in their Italian studies graduate program, I was really excited to move to New York. But it was a little bit disorienting, you know. I mean, I come from Montreal. It's still a city, but it's much smaller than somewhere like New York, where there's so many people, so many new things going on. And I really loved, you know, my first year in res because thanks to the programming of the RAs at the time, there was this nice sense of community that was created. We were able to interact with each other, get to know the city, get to know the university. And we knew that we had a sort of base outside of our program, outside of just our work, you know, with people that we could communicate with, we could do events with. And I think that's one of the big things that kind of led me to wanting to become an RA, really. So what was it like working on staff at NYU? It was really great. I mean, it gave me a kind of different perspective on the university. Being an RA was a really great experience. And it was really nice to be able to sort of give back in a way to NYU because as a grad student, you know, in the humanities and in the sciences, being a grad student often involves very long days on your own in a library or in the lab. And it can be really difficult to find people outside of your department or, you know, outside of your lab that you can spend time with. So we really enjoyed, you know, creating activities and kind of creating a sense of community for the people who lived in the halls, who oftentimes were coming straight from undergrad to one of these grad programs, dealing with all of these issues, and then just finding ways to kind of 
have them create connections. And what was interesting too is, you know, NYU has a very diverse student population, particularly among the grad students. There's a lot of grad students from everywhere in the world. Being able to create those encounters, those kind of intercultural encounters where we learn from each other, I thought that was really great. On the other hand, I mean, I was also a staff member at NYU insofar as I taught Italian literature throughout the time that I was there. And being an RA was really interesting because it allowed me to see the kind of whole student experience. So I could understand the way that students were in class and academically, but I also understood how it was living in res, the issues that they might face, you know, resources that were available for them. And I think that was a really formative experience for me, not just at NYU, but even later on in my career, just the way that I approach my teaching now, the way that I think about my students, I tend to think about the whole student experience as opposed to a student just as a kind of academic producer, if that makes sense. It makes a lot of sense. Maybe you can talk a little bit about the differences that you faced with students who are the master degree focused compared to those who are doc students in residence and their needs. Yeah, I mean, that was really interesting because in residence, the master students would only be there for maybe a year or two years. And oftentimes, you know, they were doing degrees that were sort of professional degrees. They would be degrees at somewhere like Stern, for example, you know, other degrees that would get them sort of into a profession very quickly, as opposed to PhD students who were there for a kind of much longer amount of time. So I think with the with the master's students, it was really important to try and create activities that would allow them to kind of think about professionalizing, to think about how they could use their skills and how they could interact in a more kind of professional environment, and also to think about the next steps, because the next steps were, you know, very, very near as opposed to PhD students who would be there for a significant amount of time, who might not know how long it would take them to get their degree, who might be very concerned about, you know, what kind of job they would have afterwards. Not that that wasn't an issue for master's students, but, you know, they they were sort of different needs in a way. So, you know, with PhD students, I think it was important to try and create events where we could just really sit down and chat and get to know each other and think about things outside of work. Whereas I think for master's students, there was still this sort of this this important energy in a way of kind of trying to professionalize really quickly to think about those different needs, I think was important. And it was also important for us to, I think, try and get the master's students and the PhD students to interact because many of the PhD students were going on to careers in academia, you know, and having them interact with students doing more kind of professional degrees was really helpful because it allowed that sort of cross-pollination between the academic world and the professional world. I thought it was really great. We had a lot of events where students would meet people completely outside of their field doing something completely different to form these new friendships, which was really nice to see. That sounds amazing. And actually, now that you you bring up this academic side of it, in terms of a personal thing for you, when did you decide that you wanted to be a professor? It's a good question. I mean, I knew I wanted to go to grad school in CJET. So in Quebec, the way the education system is set up is we have high school until grade 11. And then there's a sort of two-year period where you do a kind of pre-college degree before you go to university. And it was there that I had a really amazing teacher. It was a religious studies class. And she told us, you know, if you work really hard, you can get into graduate school and, you know, you can get a scholarship and all these things. And, you know, I had stars in my eyes. I didn't even know this was a possibility. And I knew I really wanted to do that. I knew I wanted to go to graduate school. I think I knew I wanted to be a professor as of my first year of undergrad because I did a sort of great books program. And I remember reading Dante for the first time, reading Cervantes for the first time and saying, I need to learn Italian so I can read Dante. I need to learn Spanish so I can read Cervantes. And I kind of recognized that 
you know, one of the most valuable things I think I could do with my life and with my talents was really going to be to be able to be in a classroom and to be able to inspire students in the same way that my teachers inspired me, not necessarily to become academics, but just to really, I think, appreciate literature, to be able to kind of find beauty in it, to think critically about it, and to use kind of, I think, literature and poetry as a way of appreciating and knowing the world. What do you currently teach, Brian, where you are at Warwick? So I teach a bit of everything, actually. I'm teaching in our liberal arts program, one of our core modules, and a course here is a module. So one of our core courses is science, society, and the media, where we do some philosophy of science. We look at how the media represents science, public understanding, and misunderstanding of science. So I teach on that. I'm also teaching a few classes that I've put together myself. So I have two classes that are back-to-back or sort of year-long series that students can take. So the first one is on underworlds, where we look at different versions of the underworld from ancient Greece all the way up to present day. And then the other one is paradises, where we look at different versions of paradises and paradise narratives, again, starting in the ancient world and moving all the way up to, you know, how paradise underlies the idea of baseball, how it underlies certain aspects of retail, how it underlies the way that Um, certain all-inclusive vacations are marketed. I'm also teaching a class on Venice and sustainability for the first time, which is really fun because Warwick has a campus in Venice, so I can bring the students out there and we're going to do a week in Venice looking at all of the problems that Venice confronts today in terms of sustainability and in terms of its future. It's always good to see that other institutions are modeling their educational travels like NYU, the global institution, right? Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, NYU really prepared me in many ways for, I think, my teaching today. Um, I wasn't only provided with excellent academic training in my field, but I was also taught to be kind of really resilient and really flexible. So to be able to think outside my field, to be able to learn quickly on my feet, to also just to be able to try new things and not to be afraid of learning something, of trying something else. And I think that was really helpful. You know, my time as an RA also really prepared me for the way that I approach my teaching, as I already mentioned, with this Venice module, you know, the students are coming out there and I've been, you know, thinking like an RA, I've said, okay, we need to have a duty phone, we need to have a roster, we need to have all of these things set up to look after their well-being. So we're not only teaching them, you know, we're also going to be looking out for them while they're there. Love to hear it. Love to hear it. Awesome. I mean, I suppose bringing it out to a slightly broader perspective, what would you say is the best aspect of attending NYU in addition to being an RA? The best aspect of attending NYU, I mean, being in New York is pretty great. The different types of students that are there. I think NYU attracts some really excited students who aren't afraid to dream big, who aren't afraid to think outside the box. And it's really, it's a privilege and a pleasure to interact with students like that who, you know, will be, they, they became my friends as graduate students, but also the undergrads, you know, the ones that I was able to teach were really excited. They were really able to think flexibly. They were ambitious, you know, and that was, that was really a great pleasure. So I think that, that was, for me, what really made NYU, you know, the people. And I mean, in that, I would also include staff. I'd also include, you know, the wonderful teachers that I had, the RA staff. I mean, working for someone like David was just fantastic. You know, I think in terms of people who have affected my life and who I want to emulate and sort of model myself on, David is definitely in the top three. You know, seeing someone like that who can be so driven, able to create and manage a staff with so many different interests and needs and really kind of bring out the best in other people. And I think that would probably be what NYU really taught me to do is to try and go out there and to bring out the best in whoever I can interact with. 
David certainly is uh, an all-star and doing great work at NYU Shanghai now after his time here on Washington Square. Uh, Tell us a little bit about the international college experience. You've been in three different countries as an educator and being educated. How has it changed from Canada to the United States and, and now to Europe? Do you see students approaching their work differently? Do you approach your work differently as a faculty member? You know, I think it's really interesting because I think one of the things that you tend to see is not only is it different from country to country, but it's also very different from institution to institution. Um, you know, in Canada, because there's, or at least in Quebec, because there's the CJEP program, most students come to university and most students are going to university that's close to home. There's not really the sense of going off to college. Some students will, but it's far more rare than it is in the U.S. So the university tends to be, you know, it exists in the city, you go to your classes, you might make a few friends along the way, but it's really set up for a kind of, you know, rigorous kind of come in, take your classes, do what you need to do, and get out. Not to say that there's no student life, there certainly was, but I think everybody came to classes and had their own sort of context and lives that they were embedded in within that same city. Whereas somewhere like NYU, I think you have so many students who are coming to New York City from all kinds of different places. And, you know, just being in the city itself can be disorienting. So I think at NYU, there was far more emphasis on kind of, I think, trying to build a community, trying to really have different traditions and ways of bringing students together, you know, and then Here in Europe, it's interesting because students will come from mostly all over the UK. We get a number of international students, particularly French students, who come to our program. But in terms of student preparation, in terms of the way that students act in class, I would say that that's somewhat different as well. I mean, so in Canada, I really felt that students would approach class, they would come to class, and either you'd done the reading or you hadn't. And if you hadn't done the reading, the instructors had a lot more kind of freedom to just sort of say, well, sorry, you haven't done the reading. We're not going to have class today. You know, I found at NYU, students tended to do their homework. Students also were very busy at NYU. I found students always had a number of different things. I think NYU students are some of the busiest students just because they have so many talents. They're doing so many things outside the classroom. They have so many other activities. Also, it was interesting because in the classroom, you could draw on students' other interests, their, particularly their artistic interests, and have them bring that in. Here in the UK, it's really interesting because I think students are looking for something different with their undergraduate programs, particularly in the program I teach in, this liberal arts program. Liberal arts in the UK is sort of a new concept. These programs have only been around for about five or six years. But it's interesting because we're seeing more and more students kind of rejecting the idea of a traditional fixed degree, say, I'm going to do only English for five years. Students are gravitating more and more towards this idea of having a liberal arts degree, which really emphasizes this idea of thinking across disciplines, teaching the students to think for themselves. We use problem-based learning in the classroom. So we try and upset that idea of having the lecturer at the front of the room who just lectures and you take notes. It's really about framing activities so students can discover knowledge on their own and then helping guide them through their own pathways through the material. So I would say, I mean, there's certain commonalities between the three systems, but also things are very different. I mean, in the UK, I think there's a lot more bureaucracy and admin around the university because the universities are public institutions that are also private. I mean, they are officially public, but the students pay fees. So it has some aspects of being privatized. Yeah, it's, it's very interesting. They're all different experiences, but I think they're really interesting. It's interesting to compare the three. You know, me- mentioning all these things from a student's perspective, it certainly seems like, you know, the culture of the classroom is quite unique, or, or at least 
at the very least, quite different. So, you know, as a professor, how would you say that you approach this differently, if you do at all? I mean, I think I do. I tend to, I don't think I approach it differently in terms of thinking in my head, oh, I'm teaching at NYU or I'm teaching, you know, here at Warwick, and that's going to affect how I'll approach it. I think I tend to approach every classroom uniquely because every classroom is a unique set of students with their own needs, with their own training, you know, and I try and kind of gauge where the students are at figure out where they want to go, why they took this class, and then try and figure out how I can best kind of encourage them and push them further to think a little bit more about the material that they're engaging with, kind of help them develop whichever skills they want to be developing. I think that's different with each class that you teach. I think that's different even in terms of each student that you teach. Not so much a question of the system influencing the way I teach in the classroom. I think my approach to the classroom is really about seeing what that community is like and seeing how best that community can be brought to think critically together, to bring out the best in each other, and to really try to develop all of their skills at the same time so that when they leave that class, they feel that wherever they were at a starting point, they've managed to gain something. And they've also managed to find a kind of comfort and ability to speak up in terms of their ideas, their observations, regardless of whether or not they've had any kind of training or exposure to the material before, or if it's their first time absolutely reading some of this stuff. Brian, does the model of teaching and being an employee as a faculty member abroad in the UK, the same as here in the States with tenure and that track of research and and so forth? No, actually, it's really, really different. So the way it works in the UK is that they do have, uh, you know, a research track. So there's a standard research track you can do, you get hired, and there's no such thing as tenure. You have a probationary period, which can be anywhere from six months to four years. And after that probationary period, you sort of become a permanent employee. But you don't necessarily have the same protections that tenure offers. At the same time, what they'll do instead of tenure is they have what's known as the research excellence framework exercise. So every, I think it's every four or five years, could be every six years even, they go through each department. Everybody has to submit their top five or six best articles, books, publications for that period. Those publications are then reviewed by different panels who are also composed of faculty members in the country who then rate everyone's research from one to five stars. Depending on how many stars your research gets, that is sort of an independent way of verifying the quality of the research being put out in a particular department. So that's the research track. And, you know, after a certain certain amount of time on that one is promoted, there used to be this system where you'd come in as a kind of junior professor or something, and then you'd move up to reader. And then from there, you'd move to professor. I think junior professor used to be termed lecturer, but they've been adopting the American nomenclature now. So now they have assistant professor, associate professor, full professor. That's the research and teaching track. There is a purely research track, but that tends to be only for the kind of research professor level, which is very rare. What I'm on is the teaching track. So the teaching track basically says, you know, your primary function is to teach. So you have, you know, a, a permanent position, but the idea is that you're meant to be teaching and doing admin, you're encouraged to still do research because we all strongly believe in research-led teaching. So I'm keeping up my research, I'm doing some research on education, on teaching, on how to have more effective teaching methods. 
the research is not a sort of core component of the job, but the core component of the job is really teaching in innovative and new ways, developing new modules. Really, it's your teaching that counts. It's a sort of a new track that's come in in the past, I would say, 10 years or so. And they're trying to harmonize that now somewhat with the research and teaching track. So you can still move up on it. You know, you can be promoted eventually to associate professor and full professor. Yeah, so it's a very different system, but it's a really interesting system because I think it lets different academics with different talents kind of have their own place in the university instead of asking every academic to be a superstar in teaching, a superstar in research, and a superstar in admin, which, yes, is doable, but is very difficult, and most people are not amazing at all three of those things. Absolutely. I mean, it sounds like you're definitely enjoying what you're doing right now. So my question for you is, what are you most proud of in your career to date? It's probably a tie between having organized an international conference at the Newberry Library in Chicago, I think two years ago now, uh, which is a wonderful institution. I would really recommend if anybody hasn't been there or, you know, is planning a trip to Chicago, it's really worth a visit. It's an absolutely wonderful institution, a public institution as well, which really opens its doors to the public. You know, we had this conference and, you know, they told us, oh, you might have people who will just come in because they're interested. And I said, interested in Renaissance poetics and literary criticism. Are, are you kidding? You know, we can't even fill a room normally with that. And it was wonderful. We had people who were retired in the community who came. We had undergraduates from the University of Chicago who came. So that was really exciting. And we have an edited collection of the essays from that that I'm working on that hopefully should be coming out in 2020. I would say I think my other point of pride in my career up to this point has probably been getting an article in a reasonably prestigious Renaissance journal called Renaissance and Reformation. And that should actually be coming out in the next week or so, which is quite exciting. But no, I mean, I feel like, you know, I've been very lucky in terms of my career, in terms of my training. You know, and I'm really looking forward to giving back to the academic community, both through the way that I teach in the classroom and interact with students, but also with, you know, different initiatives that I have in mind further down the road. Outstanding. Great work. Do you stay in contact with other RA alums? Oh, I absolutely do. I wish we could all see each other more. I mean, it's so funny because being at NYU, you spend time with all these people, they become almost like your family. And then, you know, you graduate, you leave, and everybody goes off to different parts of the world and different careers. But I'm still in touch with my former roommate and my RA brother, Thomas Fay. I'm also still in touch with a close friend of mine who was also an Italian studies PhD and an RA, Valerie Hoagland. I'm also still in touch with some close friends from the grad hall staff, such as Lauren Amant, Shimana Calder, and Marcos Rojana Madrazo. Outstanding. Time now for Speed Round, where we're going to give you just a few seconds to answer the questions. Favorite faculty member at NYU? That would definitely be Jane Tylus, who's my PhD supervisor and a fantastic teacher. Best New York City place to hang? I would say that was Milk and Honey on Eldridge before it became too big. Now it's called Attaboy. Still a nice place, but it's not like it was. I know I sound like a crotchety old man saying that. No, you don't. Any celebrity sightings while you were a grad student here at NYU? During the first fashion week or the first fashion night that they did, I was out with some friends in Soho and we went into this designer store and we're dancing and having drinks. And this lovely woman comes up to me and we start dancing. And I realized I'm dancing with Vera Wang, which was really fun. Whoa. Dang. Favorite NYU teacher? I mean, I really enjoyed the teaching of my PhD supervisor. If I had to pick someone else, I'd probably say Gigi Dotico Black in the Spanish department. She was just absolutely wonderful, you know, really helped me keep my interest in Cervantes during my time at NYU, even though I was in the Italian studies department. You know, she managed to help me kind of keep my interest in Spanish literature alive, which was lovely. Finally, what was your most memorable RA experience? My most memorable RA experience was probably... 
It's probably a tie. It was probably organizing the NYU Grad Gala in 2011, where we rented out the top floor of Kimmel, and we had this beautiful evening with live jazz and everything and had a bunch of grad students come. That was really fun. And then probably also being an RA in the summer, which is a really interesting and different experience, trying to help deal with all, you know, room check-ins and checkouts and all of that. That was really interesting. Also, spending a summer in New York was something. It gets really hot. <laughs> it does. Brian, thank you so much for spending some time with Tom and I to discuss your journey and where you are after NYU has taken you. As always, thanks to our listeners who can stay connected with RA alums who are living the dream school alumni version life. Brian, always so good to hear your voice and catch up with you and love your post on Facebook. You seem to be loving life in the UK. Yeah, things are great. Well, it's nice to catch up with you too, Tom. And any NYU uh, students or RAs who are in the UK, please feel free to get in touch. You know I will. Thank you so much. Special thanks to my engineer, Juliana Fonseca-Alesso, and to the current professional staff and alums of NYU, like David Pay, who helped these RAs and skill acquisition along the way. If you like the show, look for more content on our website. And if you want to know what RA's favorite books are, what's your favorite book, Brian? Don Quixote by Cervantes. I read it for you. You can check it on whatthey'reading.blogspot.com. And finally, feel free to tweet at me and I'll give you a shout out back. Until next time, remember, community is a two-way opportunity. Put yourself out there and you never know where you'll end up. Take care.